You're listening to the Complete Human Podcast with me, Evan DeMarco. And me, Jana Breslin. A podcast where we combine our decades of experience as health and wellness experts to educate you on how to bio-optimize your way to becoming a complete human. We are on a mission to inspire the necessary change we need to ensure a thriving existence for all. That's why with every episode, we bring you real science, deeper intelligence, and actionable takeaways in hopes of not only changing the trajectory of your health, but changing the trajectory of the entire human race. Are you ready to become a complete human? Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the Complete Human Podcast with your host, Evan DeMarco. Jana has the day off, so rather than bringing you stories or interviews of healthier people for a healthier planet, I wanted to deviate a little and tell you a story that most don't know, a story that has been lost to the ages, a story about the biggest heist in history. Ask Google to rank the biggest heist in history, and you will get search results that are pretty consistent across the board. Nowhere in any of those lists will you find the story that I'm about to tell you. I had to dig deep into the archives to find this, and then calculate the true cost of that heist. So before we get to the fascinating story of what I calculated to be a $300 trillion heist, I want to talk about Cafe Caramia. You see, Complete Human has paired with Cafe Feminino, a nonprofit organization that supports women-owned and operated coffee farms across the globe and ensure that these women get a fair price for their coffee at market. Head on over to completehuman.com and use the code PODCAST20 to save 20% off Cafe Caramia, a great coffee for a great cause. And based off of that, if you're anything like me, a day does not actually begin until the first cup of coffee. I often joke that I'm not responsible for anything I say or do until at least that second cup gets down my gullet. When I was younger, I spent two weeks helping a friend work a premium coffee bar and learned a lot about roasting and preparing coffee. But like many, I never really thought about where those beans that represented my morning salvation came from. After doing some research, I eventually launched my own line of coffee and uncovered one of the most fascinating stories ever. You see, most coffee can trace its heritage back thousands of years to the Ethiopian plateau. There, legend says that the goat herder Kaldi first recognized the divine power of these beings. The story goes that Kaldi discovered a coffee after he noticed that after eating the berries from a certain tree, his goats became so energetic that they did not want to sleep at night. Kaldi reported his findings to the abbot of the local monastery who made a drink with the berries and found that it kept him alert through the long hours of evening prayer. The abbot shared his discovery with other monks at the monastery, and knowledge of the energizing berries began to spread. As word of these magic beans reached the Arabian Peninsula, Chaldee's discovery would begin a quest that would reshape the world as we know it. By the 15th century, coffee was being grown in the Yemeni district of Arabia, and by the 16th century, it was known in Persia, Egypt, Syria, and Turkey. Coffee houses began to pop up and grew in popularity all over the region. Not only did the patrons drink coffee and engage in conversation, but they also listened to music, watched performers, played chess, and kept current on the local news. Coffee houses quickly became such an important center for the exchange of information that they were often referred to as the school of the wise. European travelers to the Near East brought back stories of an unusual beverage that was more popular than tea. By the 17th century, coffee had made its way to Europe and was becoming popular across the entire continent. Now, there were many who reacted to this new beverage with suspicion or fear, calling it the bitter invention of Satan. The local clergy condemned coffee when it came to Venice in 1615. The controversy was so great that Pope Clement VIII was asked to intervene. He decided to taste the beverage for himself before making a decision and found the drink so satisfying that he gave it papal approval. Now, I'm with the Pope. Coffee is truly a gift from the gods. 
Now, despite such controversy about the demonic nature of this incredible drink, coffee houses were quickly becoming centers of social activity and communication in the major cities of England, Austria, France, Germany, and Holland. In England, penny universities sprang up, so-called because for the price of a penny, one could purchase a cup of coffee and engage in stimulating conversation. I think inflation has made that caramel macchiato a little bit more expensive these days. Coffee began to replace the common breakfast drink beverages of the time, which were actually beer and wine. Kind of amazing we ever made it out of the dark ages. Those who drank coffee instead of beer obviously were more productive. Not sure about you, but a glass of cab in the morning with my Cheerios doesn't sound all that appealing. So by the mid-17th century, there were over 300 coffee houses in London, many of which attracted like-minded patrons, including merchants, shippers, brokers, and artists. Many businesses grew out of these specialized coffee houses. Lloyd's of London, the famous insurance agency, came into existence at the Edward Lloyd's Coffee House. In the mid-1600s, coffee was shipped across the Atlantic to New York by the British. And though coffee houses and shops rapidly began to appear in the New World, tea was still the favorite drink until 1773, when the colonists revolted against a heavy tax on tea imposed by King George III. That revolt, known as the Boston Tea Party, something we all learned about in elementary school, would forever change the American drinking preference to coffee. So what does this stroll down memory lane have to do with the biggest heist in history? I'm getting to that. In 1714, the mayor of Amsterdam presented a gift of a young coffee plant to King Louis VIII of France. The king ordered it to be planted in the Royal Botanical Gardens in Paris. In 1723, a young naval officer, Gabriel de Cleur, back in Paris on leave, begged the king for a clipping of the coffee plant so that he could bring it back with him to the West Indies. The king was unwilling to part with any part of that plant despite numerous attempts by de Cleur. Not willing to give up, de Cleur allegedly bribed a royal physician and was able to acquire a part of the plant before setting sail back across the Atlantic for what would be the adventure of a lifetime and the beginning of the greatest business in recorded history. A few weeks into the voyage, de Cleur's ship, the Dromadaire, was attacked by pirates off the coast of Tunisia. The ship's 24 guns repelled the pirates and the ship continued on its journey. De Cleur's close call with Tunisian pirates was not the only close call chronicled during his passage to the New World. Word of Declos' acquisition of the plant reached the Dutch government who dispatched a spy to follow him and ultimately destroy the coffee plant that he carried with him. The Dutch had spent several decades building their own monopoly of coffee cultivation, and like their predecessors, the Ottomans, they guarded their business with mafia-like tenacity. Declos' endeavor threatened their prominence and the future of their powerful cartel. In Declos' memoirs, he described how he guarded his precious cargo fending off the Dutch emissary. It is useless to recount the difficulties I had in saving my delicate plant from the hands of a man who, baselessly jealous of the joy I was about to taste through being of service to my country, attempted to destroy the seedlings, he said in his memoirs. Rough seas would also threaten the voyage, as the ship was badly damaged by a fierce tropical storm. Hundreds of miles from Martinique, the ship began to take on water, and the crew was forced to ditch most of the cargo so as to remain afloat. Even drinking water was amongst the many things cast overboard, and yet Declare managed to save just enough to feed his precious coffee plant. Eventually, de Cleur arrived in Martinique and planted his coffee seedling firmly in the ground. After a couple of years, when the plant had grown, de Cleur gifted governors and physicians in the West Indies with other plants. Half a century later, the Latin American coffee plantation system was born, and millions of plants began to thrive throughout the West Indies, Central America, and Brazil. Gabriel de Cleur's vision and his determination to continue the Paris Academy's quest of introducing coffee agriculture to the New World had succeeded. The modern-day nations of Brazil, El Salvador, and Guatemala are synonymous with coffee production. In fact, Brazil is the world's largest coffee producer. 
According to Business Wire, the global annual coffee market is valued just north of $100 billion. Following the year-over-year growth of coffee and doing some back-of-the-envelope math, I calculated that Declare's heist of that small plant was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 trillion in today's value. Coffee is one of the biggest commodities in the world and one that is at risk due to climate change. It's also one where laborers are treated poorly, paid minimal wages, and endure harsh conditions. While that small plant survived the harsh journey across the seas to form an empire, the modern-day coffee plant might not be as resilient in the face of all that we continue to do to our planet. When I decided to start the coffee side of our business, I wanted to make a difference. Complete Human paired with Cafe Feminino, that co-op of women-owned and operated farms that supports women getting a fair price for their coffee at market. This co-op helps women reinvest into their businesses and their communities. They build schools, medical clinics, and give women the skills to run successful, thriving, environmentally sustainable coffee farms. If you are like me and enjoy that daily drink, I highly encourage you to seek coffee that is not only fair trade, but from farms that are using regenerative agriculture, like Cafe Caramia from Complete Human. I don't know about you, but going back to beer and wine for breakfast is just not an option I'm willing to consider. So let's go beyond the bean. Americans drink 330 million cups of coffee every single day. Caffeine could easily be considered our country's largest addiction behind social media and speculating on who Kim Kardashian will hook up with next. The question ultimately becomes, is coffee healthy? Now, I wish there were an easy answer to that. Let's examine what happens when you drink coffee. And when I say coffee, I mean real coffee, not that venti caramel macchiato BS with extra whip shit that people drink. That's cancer in a plastic cup. You guys ever see the movie WALL-E? After you drink coffee, the caffeine is absorbed into your bloodstream and then travels directly to your brain, which is exactly where we like it. Once there, the caffeine blocks the inhibitory neurotransmitter adenosine. When that happens, the amount of other neurotransmitters like neuroepinephrine and dopamine increases, leading to enhanced firing of your neurons. In layman's terms, your brain just works faster. Now, many controlled studies in humans show that coffee improves various aspects of brain function, including memory, mood, vigilance, energy levels, reaction times, and general mental function. Beyond that, coffee has been shown in clinical studies to burn fat, improve physical performance, lower risk of type 2 diabetes, prevent Alzheimer's and dementia, fight depression, and even lower risk for certain types of cancers. So with all of these studied benefits, why is coffee vilified by some like it was in Venice all of those centuries ago? Honestly, I have scoured the research and can't come up with good reasons. Now, let me be very clear here. Coffee may be bad for some, especially for those who are caffeine sensitive. Can it get tweaky on coffee? which is actually kind of fun to watch. So Hungry for Change website gave a few examples of why coffee may be bad for you. And I want to go over these in, in kind of exacting detail so we're all on the same page here. Number one is insulin resistance. Now, I recently went two weeks with a continuous glucose monitor by levels and checked my blood sugar before and after two cups a day, which has been my habit since I was about 15. Guess what? No variance in blood sugar whatsoever. Beyond that, my metabolic health is off the charts. Looking at CRP and glucose levels, it's clear that my N of 1 shows no adverse blood sugar effects from coffee. Number two, LDL cholesterol. One theory is that unfiltered coffee, like the fresh press I drink every morning, can raise LDL cholesterol. Again, my data suggests there is no negative impact of LDL. Number three, increased homocysteine levels. Again, I check this all the time and have never had an issue. However, it is possible that people with MTHFR mutations might have an elevated homocysteine level, but this is probably going to happen without the coffee. Number four, addiction. Duh. Of course it's an addiction. Go a week without coffee? I'm not responsible for my actions. Number five, associated addictions. Here they discuss the associated addictions of adding mass amounts of sugar to coffee. Now, we all know that sugar is hyper-addictive, 
as I stated earlier, the caramel macchiato thing isn't actually coffee. This isn't coffee's fault that people are addicted to sugar. That's sugar's fault. Number six, elevated urinary excretion, meaning you pee a lot. Now, this one is totally accurate. I pee like a racehorse nonstop. Road trips suck. Window seats on the plane suck. Long lines at the DMV suck for multiple reasons. Guess what? They suck when you don't have to tinkle. Yes, I just said tinkle. I have a seven-year-old daughter. Now, on a positive note, my caffeine-stressed bladder has gotten me out of many boring meetings, so, so I guess there's a silver lining here. Here's my tip. Cycle on and off. If you're a full-blown coffee addict like me, taking a week off every now and then is a good thing and makes that first cup so much sweeter when you pick up that delectable habit again. So now that we've covered that you should, for the most part, drink coffee, let's discuss what kind. Fair trade is a must. Coffee is one of the most commoditized crops on the planet, with an estimated 1.6 billion cups consumed every day. Now, it's estimated that 125 million people depend on coffee as a job, but many earn less than a living wage. Fair trade, while not a perfect system, does help to stabilize the price of coffee and provide consistent revenue for farmers, like the women at Cafe Caramia and Cafe Feminino. Now, beyond that, try to buy organic. You've heard me rant about regenerative agriculture. Coffee is no different. The more that we force growers to use organic methods, the more that we can begin to turn the tide on climate change. That's all I got. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a special edition of the Complete Human Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.